Do you know what John Mark just saying? Do you, do you know what love sees when God looks at you? Some of us don't. Some of us question whether God loves us. Some of us haven't been able to experience that love. But that's at the core of our faith. We return to our series. What's it called? Just so you know what? Yeah, that you're saved. That's the, the reason the series is called Just So You Know. is just so you know you're truly born again. And so the messages that I've preached in this series, and one more after today, are intended to offer assurance about our salvation, to confirm our faith. We're in 1 John. You could take out your message guide. We call it a message guide because the outline is the first two panels. Then there's the discussion guide that you can do this week to just help you learn more as you study this passage that I'll preach on today. And then there's preparation for next week. So I commend that to you. And I'm, I'm appreciative. I'm thankful that many of you are reading. You're studying. You're, you're trying to let God speak to you from his word. I'm greatly encouraged by that. The theme verse is on top of your message guide. 1 John 5.13. The theme of 1 John. And it says, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Why is it written? It's right there. Okay, let me try that again. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that... Do you know that you have eternal life? That's why 1 John was written. So you can have assurance, so that you can have confidence, so you don't live in doubt and fear. But the way we do this, we, to, to get there, we have to examine our lives. And you know, sometimes we think, oh, you should never question whether you're saved. No, that's not what Scripture says at all. Remember, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourself. Today's message is a relational test focused on whom I love. The presence of love. Now I'm speaking about true love, godly love. The presence of love in my life indicates the authenticity of my faith. So we're going to look at three things related to love that evidence eternal life. First, and turn to 1 John. You know where that is, right? Toward the end of the New Testament. The end of, toward the end of your Bible. Eternal life first is evidenced by loving God and people. 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 7. Dear friends, literally it's beloved. It's one word in the, in the Greek. I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather... It is an old one you have had from the very beginning. And this old commandment to love one another is the same message that you heard before. Now that was an Old Testament teaching. It was not only to love one another or to love neighbors but also to love God. So I'm saying that what evidences eternal life is loving God and people. But we'll focus on people today. But you remember Leviticus 19.18 and Deuteronomy 6.5 set forth 
love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And we continue at verse 8. Yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you are living it also. Jesus confirmed those two commandments, the two greatest commandments at Matthew 22, verse 34 through 40. Love God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. But he also renewed these teachings as a new commandment. He said to his disciples, I give you a new commandment based on the old, but it is that they should love each other the way he loved them, which took this issue of love to a completely new level. Verse 8 continues, for the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. That's the light of Christ because Christ has come. If anyone claims I'm living in the light but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is still living in darkness. So in other words, if someone claims I'm living in light, I have faith in Christ, but is really living in darkness, that person is not saved. And anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light And does not cause others to stumble. What does that mean to stumble? Well, here's the way. Stumble means to discourage, to uh, promote sin or to tempt to sin. And here's the way it happens. When people call themselves Christians, but live in a very way that's inconsistent with that claim, by hating other people, it causes people to, be, to stumble. In other words, our testimony, the inconsistency in our lives, puts stumbling blocks to other people's faith. Now, John often writes in strong black and white terms for emphasis. Here he shows light and darkness. In several places, he talks about truth and lies. And you can find that in John's letters. You can also find it in John's gospel. At verse 11, but anyone who hates his brother or sister is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. The scripture uses these terms Darkness and blindness to refer to rejecting God's truth. Sometimes it's used to refer to persisting in sin. You're living in darkness. John 3, 19. John 3, 12, 39 and 40. Well, how is this darkness displayed? Well, this darkness is displayed whenever people are rejected, mistreated, Treated unjustly for any reason. But in particular, reasons such as differences in race, in ethnicity, in social standing, in education level, or in personality. 
And our culture is filled with that darkness. We are called to drive out the darkness. We are the light on the hill. At least that's what we're called to be. Let me tell you this. Because we're in this season. Activists and politicians cannot heal racism. I'm not sure they're even concerned with it. Because the separation keeps them in power. And develops voting blocks and all. With the struggle. But we are supposed to be unifiers. We're supposed to be the people that communicate love, acceptance. Across all of these lines that separate us. See, two Christians of different races, of different social standing, are more alike and have more in common than two people who are from the same background, the same ethnicity, and grew up in the same neighborhood. Because the matter of faith is the greatest determiner of who we are. And two Christians of completely different ethnicities, different customs, different habits, even different languages, are much closer than two people from the same neighborhood. One believes Christ, one doesn't. You can't be farther apart from anyone than to differ on this matter of faith. Ask someone you know who got into a marriage with an unbeliever. You know, this, this idea of being equally yoked is not a, re, a racial reference. Two people equally yoked are two people who share faith in Christ. Two people unequally yoked are two people who do not share faith in Christ. It has no application about race. 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, again, he's calling them beloved. Remember, John was the, the disciple of love. Let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Now let's think about that. Love comes from God. Doesn't come from us. He's the ultimate source of what is truly love. Which means he defines what love is. What love means. Now, there's a human view of love. But what is it primarily? What do you think? Ice cream love. <laughs> True, but give me some more, be a little more explicit. What is primarily human love? Self. Well, it's self, but, but to say, oh, I love you is more about infatuation and sex. I mean, am I right? Television, if you love someone, you have sex with them, usually about 15 minutes into knowing them. God's love doesn't have anything to do with either one of those. God's love means continually giving of self to others for their benefit. You know, it's no wonder that, that we have so much divorce in this country because we have accepted this world's definition of love, which I said is infatuation and it's sex. Let me tell you this. Infatuation can't linger 
sex isn't a substance enough to hold a relationship together. We're held together by intimacy. Sex is an expression of intimacy. Guess what? You have no intimacy, you're going to get bored with sex fast. And with our culture's definition of love, it's time to get a new mate. Continue for 1 John 4, 7. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. See, if you have been born again, and that's what this whole series is about, to, for me to bring back to you, have you been born again? If you've been born again, then you have experienced the love of God in a deep, significant, undeserved ongoing way and you can't experience that level of love without being changed is that true anybody know someone who really loves them you know someone raise your hand then well let me tell you this if you're really loved by somebody that didn't happen without changing you it changes who you are it changes your identity It touches you in a deep place. It shapes your character to be truly loved. This kind of love I'm describing heals wounds. It relieves fears. It reduces anger. It eliminates loneliness. That sound good to anybody? God does all of those things. Now, you know what? It doesn't happen at the rate we'd like or predictably the way we want. And y'all have heard me talk over and over about transformation prayer. All transformation prayer is someone asking you questions to pray with you that you might hear from God and be healed in these deeply wounded areas. That sounds miraculous. It is. But it's God's Spirit doing the work. I urge you to take a step. Take, get some courage and take a step toward transformation prayer. You can call the care department. You can call the Be Encouraged house. The experience of God's love produces the life of God. Remember last week, what did I tell you it was called in the scripture? It was planted in you. A seed. 1 John 3, 9. God planted a seed in you of his, of his person. And it's an, in, it's an indestructible seed. 1 Peter 3, 9. 1 Peter 1, 23, I mean. And so this seed of God's person is, is placed in you when you're born again. It can't be killed off. It's tended by the Spirit and hopefully by your, with your cooperation, it grows and it starts overcoming you from within. So it changes who you are and it conforms you to be more like Christ as it takes you over from the inside out. Does that make sense? And you become more like Jesus Christ than the person you used to be. And you're identified as God's child. And because you're God's child, you will reflect his love to others. You know anybody like that that just loves everybody? 
You know, do you know anybody like that? I know somebody. Jerry Fry's like that. He, listen to y'all clapping. He is. And, I, and, and some of y'all are too. I don't mean to hurt your feelings about that. But, but he's, like my, he's like my daddy. But you can't be around someone with that nature and be nasty and ugly. Have you noticed that? It just rubs off on you. If you're all critical and gossipy and you're around somebody that's that loving, it changes you. Now, it may change you temporarily if it's another person till you get away from them. But when the seed of God's planted in you, it changes you permanently. Verse 8. But anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. The person who lacks love. And again, remember, am I talking about sexual passion? No, I'm talking about God's love, sacrificial love. The person who lacks love shows himself to be unchanged at the core of his being by the good news. Now, well, unbelievers can show love. Yes, they can, but not in the way I'm describing. Not in this this way that, that God's indwelling presence Enables you to show this unselfish love. It's not human. It's not something you conjure up. Because it's coming from within. God's love is not an abstract principle. It's not a sentimental emotion. It's a determined choice to do what is needed for people God has decided to love. That sounds a little different than what you saw on television last night, doesn't it? What do you think, Bill? Anything different? This, this media stuff is so morally, spiritually bankrupt. Don't take any signals from it. They don't even understand what I'm talking about. 1 John 4, 9 through 11. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice. Remember I taught you that word propitiation, which means take away the wrath of God against sin. And sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. Since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. That's verse 11. I jumped to the wrong verse, didn't I? Do you think God had, a, had an emotional feeling? It was what caused him to send his son to die, to die? Or was it a gracious decision? You see the difference? It wasn't that he felt compelled and swooning over passion for you that he sent his son to die. 
He decided to love you and submitted his son to death for you. I want you to feel the weight of that. See, if we grasp the depth of God's love and we can value his grace, we will follow his example. We will be different people. We will love others. And we begin and we learn to improve at it. But we will love others with a sacrificial Christ-like love. Do you know what I'm talking about? 1 John 4, 12. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression. Or it becomes complete. It becomes perfected in us. And what this is saying is people will not see God's love in this culture, in this country, in this community, even in this church. Unless Christians love each other before a watching, skeptical, cynical world. Jesus said, you know how they'll identify that you're my disciples? Do you, do you know? John 13, 35. If you love each other. Now, was it love each other because y'all like the same teams? You like the same sports? You look the same? Your skin color's the same? The unseen God reveals himself through the visible love of believers. Everybody hear that? The unseen God reveals himself through the visible love of believers. How visible is your love? Do people that work with you, that live in the neighborhood with you, do they know the love of God by looking at you. That's what it says, isn't it? Eternal life is evidenced also by rejecting jealousy and resentment. 1 John 3, verse 11. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. Who was his brother? Abel. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. The story of Cain and Abel is at Genesis chapter 4, first 8 verses, really about the first 12 verses. You can also see a comment on, in Hebrews 11, verse 4, about it. What was Cain's profession? Farmer. What was Abel's profession? Shepherd. And so Cain offered some of his crops as a gift to God. Abel, the shepherd, offered the best of his portions of his firstborn lambs to God. Genesis 4 two, verses 2 and 3. Now the Lord accepted, Genesis says, accepted Abel 
and his gift. But he rejected Cain and his gift. I don't believe it was about, is God a vegetarian? That God preferred it was a meat eater. Mm -mm. It was about the man who presented the gift. Because there are grain offerings in the Old Testament. As well as the offering of lambs in the Old Testament. Cain got mad. He was furious. Also despondent. And God saw it. And God said, what's, you know, what's going on with you? And God told him, what you did was wrong. And because of that, he killed his brother. Why? We don't, we don't see that Abel made fun of him or gloated or anything. Nothing. Nothing like that. Abel offered his best to God. Cain offered, you could argue, his best to God. Cain was jealous because what Abel offered was approved by God. And Abel himself was. And he was not. Cain was not. Why wasn't he pleased that his brother found favor with God? Instead of being pleased that his brother Abel found favor with God. He resented his brother. But he also resented God. And he expressed his anger through murder. Sometimes people can't get their hands around God's neck. So that's why they mistreat you. But but let's think about this. Are we jealous like that? Are we resentful like that? If, If someone you care about gets a blessing from God. Maybe they get the raise, perhaps they win the lottery, something wonderful happens. Does it make you mad? Envious? Jealous? Then you don't love that person. If we truly love someone, we take delight in the benefit of others. If we're just consumed with self, we take delight in no one but ourselves. That's a bad place to live, isn't it? We don't resent people when they're favored above us, do we? Are you full of resentment when people get privileges, benefits, blessings, and you don't? You need some heart work. That resentment leads you to bad places. Verse 13. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. See, what happened here is that Abel's righteous obedience exposed Cain's unrighteousness, which enraged Cain. And he didn't like seeing. The one that made him feel less. 
So he killed him. Hebrews 11, 4. That explains why Christians are attacked in our culture. That explains why we have Supreme Court justices that would like to silence us on matters of of abortion and immorality and homosexual practice and even global warming. Because it makes them furious. This world includes many lost people that become jealous, angry, resentful when they encounter people who are living righteously. Have you noticed that? Just, just you being who you are because you follow certain moral standards. There are people in your office that make fun of you or mistreat you. That's the behavior of Cain. They might not even know exactly why they're doing it. But it's just the fact that you're living righteously exposes their unrighteous lives. Does this make sense? Bless you. The fact that you won't endorse their immoral lifestyles. I'm not saying that you're, you're, you're condemning them. Just the fact that you won't endorse that immorality. And folks, we need to quit endorse. We need to quit Going along with everything. People are cheating on their taxes. They're, you know, paying under the table. They're sleeping with each other. They're shacked up with each other. And we just... You don't have to scold and condemn. But don't endorse and act like there's nothing wrong with any of it. You don't do people a favor who are living in disobedience. You cause them to think they're, they're as right with God as you are. The fact that you don't embrace some things asserts to these people that they're not right with God. That's why they're so furious with you. I'm not saying you're, you're, you're using a bullhorn. It, it might just be implied by the fact that you don't embrace some things. It may be that you only speak humbly or, or, or very gently about your relationship with God. Don't you see it's Cain at work within them? That's the only thing that explains the outrageous anger. Why would someone that doesn't believe in God be so mad that we put a plastic Mary and Joseph on the lawn? If they don't believe it, I mean, they're not mad at Frosty the Snowman. It's the same thing. It's Cain. And many unbelievers are like Cain, resenting Christians just because they obey God. Because the believers' lives expose and challenge their false beliefs and disobedient lives. Christians, you know, Christianity is being attacked. If you, if you say, no, I'm not serving this person because of this person's lifestyle, y'all know they're... People are being sued all over this country and attacked. It's Cain at work. The spirit of Cain's at work. 1 John 3 verse 14. I'll just say this. And if we get more Supreme Court justices like some of the ones we have now, the church is in for trouble. 
and suppression. You better be careful how you vote. Who's going to defend the right to live by Christian morality? 1 John 3 verse 14. If we love our Christian brothers and sisters, it proves we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 22, that avoiding the act of murder doesn't mean you're innocent. Because avoiding the act doesn't necessarily avoid the emotion of murder, which still violates God's command. The hateful desire to harm is the moral equivalent of murder in God's eyes. Verse 15 doesn't mean that a believer has never committed an act of murder. It doesn't mean that a murderer can never be forgiven and saved. It does mean that people who are characterized by hateful attitudes and and harbor murderous thoughts evidence an unregenerate heart that will perish eternally. What does your life display? Does it display jealousy, resentment, anger, hatred? Where are you spiritually? Eternal life is also evidenced by self-sacrificing actions. Verse 316. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Jesus demonstrated real love by willingly sacrificing his life for our needs. Loving someone the way that Jesus Loves means putting someone else's concerns, interests, needs, joy, happiness, contentment, even interest ahead of your own. Do you do that? Now, let me give you an example. Y'all ever heard of the North Carolina Apple Festival? It's going on right now. Hendersonville. Leanne likes those things. Guess who doesn't? So Leanne likes those things, so I went to the North Carolina Apple Festival yesterday, Friday. And I stayed, how long we stay about? Like five hours, four or five hours? Two hours. She says two hours. <laughs> <laughs> But as we were leaving now, she says, I think you enjoyed yourself. (laughs) Well, here's what I did. I did enjoy this. I was astounded how many different kinds of meat you can cook on a stick. (laughs) And I'm going to tell you, I mean, it was a bizarre place. You had guys carrying a shock of corn. You know what a shock is? That's, you know, 
with all the green leaves around the corn. And they're roasting this stuff. So there's this guy, and he's got this thing and all, those, all the green shucks, you know, down around his hand. And that thing is dripping butter everywhere. And the, the, this, this ear of corn's bigger than the guy's head. And he, you know, he was, and I just was amazed. And I told him, I said, I'm going to tell you, you only need one thing. And he said, he said, he's what? I said, you need one of those big old turkey legs in your other hand. <laughs> and I think you have to have a, a permit to carry those things. They look so dangerous. But I mean, imagine this place is bizarre now. I mean, you got people eating corn, butter everywhere. You got them holding these clubs, gnawing on this turkey leg. It's a bizarre place. Now, some of y'all, some of, some of the wives are just entranced now. So, y'all are going to have to go because it goes to all day tomorrow. It'll only be about 20,000 people there tomorrow. But the point here. Oh, I got to tell you this too. Those people can batter and fry anything, including a shoe. Leanne got some Oreos. You know. They work really pretty good, but they will, they will batter and fry anything you have. So take anything you want, and, and they'll let you eat your hat or your shoe or anything. But the sacrifice of Jesus, if you really experience it, if you grasp it, the sacrifice of Jesus etches itself into your mind and heart when you're saved. And it changes who you are. It changes your behavior. You can no longer live this self-contented, self-centered, narcissistic lifestyle. Not many of us will have the opportunity or the circumstance to, to cause us to offer our lives for the sake of someone else. But there are other ways that we can sacrifice our interests... For the good of others. And John gives an example right here at verse 17. If someone has enough money to live well. And sees a brother or sister in need. And shows no compassion. How can God's love be in that person? In other words if you've experienced the grace of God. How can you be so stingy? How can you be unconcerned with someone that's suffering? How can you refuse to give anything after what God has given to you? Some of us are unwilling to meet a person's need if it costs us time or money. And many of us are unwilling to do anything that will inconvenience us. Now let me just say this. Some of you don't give at all. And some of you serve nowhere at all either. What's that about? What's going on in you? Verse 18. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show it by the truth of our actions. Is your love for others evident in your actions? Not merely in your words. And then finally, eternal life is evidenced by confident expectation of judgment. Chapter 4, verse 16.
We know how much God loves us, and we put our trust in his love. Do you know how much God loves you? I'm going to tell you, that's the starting point for developing intimacy with God. Knowing, which means experiencing the love of God for you. That's where assurance of your salvation comes from. And you can have a settled state of mind and heart. Continuing in verse 16. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. In other words, our intimacy with God grows and deepens. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. The day of judgment's coming. If you believe anything in this scripture, you have to believe that a day of judgment is coming. And we'll each receive either eternal life in heaven or eternal punishment in hell. All humanity. John 3:36. But we can face him with confidence. Because we live like Jesus here in this world. Now, did you hear where the confidence comes from? Did you, you heard, didn't you? Did y'all hear where the confidence comes from? It doesn't come from the fact that you prayed a prayer when you were eight years old. It doesn't come from the pre- fact that you rededicated yourself at a fireside when you were at youth camp. It doesn't even come from the, from the fact that you were baptized or you spent all your life in the church. All of those things can be good. None of those things secure salvation. As we saw three weeks ago, there are facts involved in our faith, but it doesn't stop there. You can believe the facts and not be born again. Even the demons believe, and they even shudder over what they know. God gives a sure hope to those who have trusted in Him. But this confidence isn't just based on accepting facts about Jesus' life and death. death. This confidence is based on living in God. Walking with Him daily. Talking to Him. Listening to His voice. Reading His word. So that our love grows more perfect. So that we deepen our intimacy with Him. Well, that sounds like it takes time. You think it takes time? Yeah. Here's the problem in our culture. We're we're lazy and we want instant gratification. And I'll tell you this. You will never know God instantly or without effort. So what happens is we come with wounds. And these wounds are supposed to be filled up by by God's spirit. But we don't want that because that takes some time. It takes some effort. It takes some fasting. It takes some prayer. So what we do is we grab for a quick solution. Is that right? And that's where every addiction comes from. Sexual, either homosexual or heterosexual. That's where the drive toward homosexuality is. That's where addiction of every kind of substance. But you know what? Anger and power are just as addictive. As much addictions as alcohol or drugs. But it's people with, we all have cracks and wounds. And it's people trying to fill those places, those fissures, with stuff this world offers instead of in Christ. And the only place it will be filled is in Jesus Christ. Y'all don't need to clap. 
I just want you to hear it. It's the only way our love grows perfect. The word is teleo. Remember when Jesus was on the cross, he, what did he yell? To telestai. It's finished. It's, it's related to the same word. Your love grows perfect. Your love grows complete. Your love grows whole. But it will take time. Our confidence about our eternal day of judgment grows more stable and secure as we grow in intimacy with God. And we're more and more sure of His love. Verse 17 in 1 John 4. But we can face Him with confidence. But why? Why why can we face Him with confidence? It's on your Bibles. Why? Come on, give me some energy. I'm not letting y'all go. We can face him with confidence. Why? Do you? See, there's a condition. You want to face God with confidence? You live like Jesus in in this world. That means right now. That means today. So where's where's this confidence come from? From what you did years ago? Huh? Today. Today. Our confidence is based on observing our own behavior, that our lives are conformed to the character of Christ, that we look and act like Him. We express love like Jesus. And that's where we get security for the hereafter. Verse 18 says this. Such love has no fear. Because perfect love expels fear. Do you know that? Are you anxious? Are you frightened? You, you haven't really experienced the love of God fully. Maybe in some. If we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows we've not fully experienced His perfect love. See, if we know God loves us, we don't fear His punishment, do we? And verse 19 says, we love each other because he loved us first. Receiving God's love enables us to love others. And this is especially um, revealed by the way we love others who don't look like us, but love our Lord. You got to look and see. Do I have some bigotry, some racism, some pride over my position, my education, my social standing? Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Hatred, prejudice, bigotry, narcissism, pride are all spiritual problems caused by heart disease. And the only cure is found in Jesus Christ. And only the gospel can change people who hate into people who love. No politician's going to change you that way. Jesus Christ alone. So here's your soul training. Do my relationships with other people reflect faith? In Jesus Christ. Our counselors will be here. 
I'm going to pray and let you go. Y'all come on up, counselors. You know what? If you want someone to pray with you about any of these matters that I've discussed today, if you say, I don't know if I'm saved or not, would someone pray with me? Talk to me about that. If you just say, you know, I'm bitter and I have a deep, deep seed of racism, would somebody pray with me that God would, would, would extract that out of me, that hatred? Come and pray with someone. Perhaps you're just ill and you say, I'd love for someone to anoint me with oil and pray for me that God would heal me. God does heal. God doesn't always heal, but God does heal. Father God, I pray that you would reach us. Show us in ourselves what doesn't doesn't fit and shouldn't be there. Lord, if it's just we need to repent, Lord, help us repent. Lord, if we're unsaved, Lord, I pray today your spirit would draw us. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that love like your sons does. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for coming.